Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. We're starting a new series today, and uh, in this series, I've been praying about this series a lot, and, and honestly, this is a series that I've been part of communicating before. And, and been studying and processing for, um, for a long time because of the content of what this series is going to be talking about. But I have to be really honest that as this last week, as I was processing through and preparing for this, the Holy Spirit really spoke something new and, and special about this series, about a perspective to it that I hadn't fully processed before. And it was really, really cool because we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone, everyone familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? right? Jesus's longest sermon. I'm telling you what, I do not talk long at all. He talked for three chapters. I'm just saying. So if you ever think I talk long, just read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just saying. Uh, But it's an incredible message that he preaches. And there's some amazing truth that's communicated out of it. But, But can I be honest that I think sometimes as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we, we can kind of process it a little bit, and even because of some of the content of the Sermon on the Mount, we can kind of equate it to a New Testament Ten Commandments. Has, has anybody ever done that? Like, it's Jesus's, do this, don't do this, do this. Hey, make sure that you do this, right? Anybody ever kind of read it before like that? Like, it, 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 kind, of, it kind of is, and it's reminiscent of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And very much so, Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to live, So very much he is saying, if you are part of the kingdom of God, then this is what your life should look like. So there is that aspect of it. But one thing that the Holy Spirit was really inviting or showing me this last week is how much Jesus is inviting us into relationship through the Sermon on the Mount. It's less about all the things that you're supposed to do, but it's more about the relationships that we have that foster the things within the Sermon on the Mount. And they're in a couple different areas, and we're going to dig into this, and this is going to be kind of the, the content of the message today. But we, we understand that, that as Jesus is, is inviting us into this way of living, this, this culture of the kingdom, this, this kingdom culture, we understand that this kingdom culture is built around relationship. It's predicated on relationship. And as we start to read through over these next few weeks, and as we start to dig into the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find that as Jesus communicates elements of the Sermon on the Mount, they all have to do with relationship in specific areas of life, okay? And it's broken out into a couple different areas, and we're going to process that. But, but the, the, the foundational part of this is this. Jesus never did anything apart from wanting and desiring and inviting people into a relationship with him and with one another. Everything that Jesus did was to invite you into a relationship with him, to to find salvation for your soul and all of the, the incredible benefits that come from a relationship with Jesus. But he also encouraged us in how we live together as the body of Christ, how we actually function in this thing that he has set up. It's not just arbitrary, oh, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, whatever. It has very specific purpose to it in terms of relationship. And so that's what we're going to be jumping into today. Um, It has, and like I said, the Sermon on the Mount talks about relationship in three key areas. And the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus taught about these. And as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, they're going to kind of fall into three general kind of areas and categories. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus never taught something without exemplifying it himself. We know that what Jesus taught, and we could trust what Jesus taught because of how he lived his life. He lived as an example for us to follow in our lives. And out of that, he was able to say, hey, by the way, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he was able to communicate what the kingdom of heaven was like because that's how he was already living. So when he began to teach, you could look at his life and say, oh, that makes so much sense because I see how he's living and then I pair that with what he's saying and those two things equal this understanding of the kingdom of heaven and kingdom culture here on earth. 
And I love this about Jesus. We're going to spend um, a lot of our time in Matthew because Matthew kind of builds out the Sermon on the Mount uh, in three chapters. But today, uh, to set the stage for this, I'm going to jump back to Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, the Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount is much shorter. He kind of gives the cliff note version and the, the kind of some of the important things that he pulls. Doesn't negate the other one. You know, everyone's like, I'm going with Luke, you know. No, Matthew's still important. Matthew's still important. Um, but Luke's uh, account of the Sermon on the Mount gives us some additional uh, information about the backstory of the Sermon on the Mount. Because we typically read the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is up on a mountain and a bunch of people are gathered around and he begins to teach. And that's kind of the beginning of the story. Lived this life that he then was going to communicate and invite people to live in. So Luke 6 is where we're going to be today. Luke 6. And I'm going to read some text here and then we're going to jump in to our content. Luke 6, and I'm going to start in verse 12. And it says this, that during those days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, who he also named apostles. Simon, uh, whom he was also called Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. By the way, do you ever um, think about like, the guys in here that, you know, they're never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, like the disciples. I was a disciple of Jesus. We don't know anything about him. Bartholomew, great guy, awesome. Don't know what he did, but he was a disciple. We know that. It's claim to fame. I was one of the 12. Anyway, no, he had a ministry. I'm just, anyway, never mind. Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Uh, And then verse 17, after coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. There's this beautiful image of of how Jesus lived his life. And really what he did is he exemplified three areas that are shaped by a kingdom culture. Three areas that are shaped by a kingdom culture. And I'm going to illustrate this today uh, because I'm visual. I'm going to use a a triangle to illustrate these today. And uh, and the reason for it is just an understanding of of how this works. This helps me because I'm very visual. Anybody else visual in the place? Okay, good. So you're going to get it. Awesome. All right. Uh, And as Nick pointed out earlier, there is no I on this triangle. So it's not that triangle. Okay. Um, All right. The first of these areas of relationship that Jesus talks about is what we're going to call our up relationship or our relationship with God a relationship with God. This is first and foremost, this is the most important relationship we have in our lives. And that goes without being said, and that's very simple, and we would all agree with that and everything, but it is the life source of everything we do. If we break this passage that I just read apart into a couple of sections, we see in verse 12 that that during those days, Jesus, he went out into the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. How many of you have ever gone away and prayed all night? Yeah, that's a long time. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a long time, right? But I think that it actually indicates something about the relationship that Jesus had with his father that I think is something for us to actually lean into, okay? Um, because for Jesus, getting away and spending the whole night with his father in prayer was his lifeline. It was what absolutely empowered him for everything that he did in his ministry. This was not something that Jesus just went away and he said, yeah, I have to do this because if I don't, then it won't work. No, the desire was to be able to be with his father. There was a relationship that fueled this desire for him to, to go out and to not sleep and to spend the entire night in prayer 
to the Father and listening to the Father and having this conversation and this relationship back and forth. We see that the order of things here is that Jesus, before he did anything, he first was with his Father. He didn't go out and begin ministry without first getting away and spending time with the Father. Now, if we're going to, exem- if we're going to uh, align with, with the, the way of life that, that Jesus is exemplifying here, this kingdom culture, this, this kingdom culture mentality is one of, of God first, of putting God first in everything that we do. But it's a lot more than just saying it. It's actually an adjustment to the way we think. Because notice that, again, this was the first thing that Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't go away with the Father after he'd done everything else and then he was burned out. No, before he did anything else, he got away with the Father. He found his strength from the Father. On your notes, there's some blanks for you to fill in under letter A. Everything for us flows out of this relationship and nothing happens without it. Everything flows out of this relationship and nothing happens without it. Yeah, we can fake it for a while. We can kind of do the thing, right? We, we can kind of be a person on our own strength, but it doesn't get us very far. And at some point that comes to an end because we haven't found our life and the life that we live from a place of being fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're just making it happen on our own. Have you experienced this in life where maybe, maybe you feel really good about life, but then you're going through the course of your day or a couple days and, and you get to a point where you're, you're kind of doing good, kind of, kind of doing less good, kind of doing le- less good and less good. And then finally you get to a point where you're like, I'm empty. I start yelling at my kids. I start yelling at my wife. I start getting angry and upset at people and all of this because what's here, what we have on our own has run out. Anybody ever been there before, right? This is, this is me too. I'm raising my hand, right? This, this is just because it's on our own strength. Everything that Jesus did came from his relationship with God, with his father. Everything he did. Nothing was apart from that. So we see for us that for kingdom culture, for us, we need to step into a new level of reliance and a new level of relationship with the Father. Not simply just doing what he says to do. Now we'll get to that part because there is some responsibility. But we begin, thank you. But it begins with the fact that we are first and foremost sons and daughters of the king. Before anything else, we're kids, and he's our father. And so we get to go to him for life. Letter B, time with the father is not a chore to be endured, but it is a life source to be enjoyed. Say that again. Time with the father is not a chore to be endured, It's a life source to be enjoyed. Many times, we can get into this mentality with, yeah, I I spent my time with the Lord today. I, I I, I, I spent the five minutes. I did the 10 minutes, whatever. And now I'm off the course of the day. And and it's looked at as like, yeah, I I checked the box. But, But there's so much more to our relationship with God that God has designed for us to be able to enjoy with him. It's not just something that we come and we do it because that's what we're supposed to do. It's where we come and we actually understand levels of the character and the nature of God that we wouldn't be able to do if we didn't spend time with him. As we spend time in the word and let the word of God reveal the character and the nature of God, letting him be able to speak to us and bring us this life. See, it was out of these times, these times of enjoyment, these times of of life source with the Father that Jesus then stepped out and did everything that the Father said or he did the will of the Father. But it only came after he'd gotten away and prioritized time to be able to be with the Father. John 6 says this, for I've come down from heaven, this is Jesus speaking, not to do my own will, there's that word, but the will of, 
of him who sent me. So in other words, he didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father, who is God. Now, will is interesting because when you dig into this, this understanding of this word will, it actually means the pleasure of. So again, what Jesus was doing was he was getting away to be able to build relationship with his father and be in this relationship where he understood the will of the father, which was what brought the father pleasure. And the only way that he was able to find out what brought the father pleasure is by spending time with him and getting everything he could out of the father so that he knew exactly what he was able to do and what he was supposed to do to step back out into the world. We don't spend time with God to receive our marching orders, just to receive our marching orders. We don't spend time with him just to do that. But listen to this. This is so cool. We spend time to develop a relationship with God where we discover what he loves and that then shapes how we live. This is what it means to do the will of the Father. It's not like, okay, God, here I am. Just tell me what I need to do and I'm right back at it. Okay, okay. Yeah, can you speed this up a little bit? Like, um, I I got, kids got to get to school, right? It's getting to the point of saying, God, here I am. And I just want to know you. I want a relationship with you. And as you do that, he starts to say, hey, by the way, these are the things that make me really happy. Wow, that's what makes you happy. That's so cool. Okay, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that because I know because of relationship with the Father, I know what makes the Father happy. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to incorporate those things into my life because I know that it pleases my Father. This is what it means to do the will of the Father. It's an act of worship. Doing the will of the Father was, for Jesus was an act of worship because he understood the Father and he was able to step out and to do what he needed to do. In very simplistic terms, this is the whole point of it. What Jesus illustrated here is to be before you do. Be a child of God. Be the person that God created you to be in relationship with him. And then do. I think in our culture and in our society that we live in, I I think we get those backwards. Everything is performance-based, is it not? Everything is performance. You do this and you get a raise. You do this and you get a promotion. You do that, like everything is built around that. But the kingdom culture is completely upside down. No, you don't need to do or perform to be anybody. You be you. A created child of God, created in the image of God and in the likeness of God with a soul and a spirit that is able to be forgiven and cleansed and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that, that's how we, we, what we get to do. We don't have to do anything. This is what I love about Jesus is, is you don't have to do anything special to come to Jesus. He already did everything. He just invites you into a relationship with him. And so this is what Jesus exemplifies a do or a be before do. Almost just unraveled my whole message. And then nobody would listen. <laughs> Didn't you just say? So how do we learn the will of the Father? We learn the will of the Father by spending time with him. And he speaks primarily, not entirely or exclusively, but primarily through the word of God. This is how we discover the will of God, by spending time in this book. And, and sometimes it means pressing in just a little bit further, pressing in just, just a little bit longer to be able to actually have this speak life to us. A couple of quotes for you. Billy Graham said this, that if you're ignorant to the God's word, you will always be ignorant to God's will. You want this will of God? You got to get familiar with his word. Another quote, this is an unknown person. I mean, they're, they're known, they're a person. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. I really like that one. And then finally, Theodore Roosevelt said this, no educated man can afford to be ignorant of the Bible. You can be educated in every space. You can have read lots. 
You could have watched every YouTube video. You could have gone to college. You could have, you've taken classes. You could have all of this information. But if it's ignorant to the word of God, it's pointless. Because this has to be the base of everything that comes out. So we want to build relationship. We want to understand what the will of God is. We have to spend time with him, spend time in his word so that we understand what that's like. Now, if this relationship is off, and, and you would probably attest to this being true in your life, that if this relationship was, is off, everything else in life is off. If your relationship with God is off, everything is off, right? Because we, that's the first and foremost thing where, where the life source comes. And, and, and can I just say this, that the reason that we feel that our relationship with God is off is not because of anything that's different from what it always is, but it's shame and guilt and condemnation that we carry that somehow limits us from the fact that we can actually go before the God and actually be received before him because our sins are forgiven. It's actually not that God is further away. God's the same. He's consistent. He's faithful. It's that the lies and the condemnation of the things that we carry in life get in the way of understanding that we are still in right standing with God. This is the power of grace. This is the power of the cross. God is never farther away from you at different times or closer to you at different times. No, he's right with you, but it's these other things that start to shout really, really loud in our head. You can't come to God. You can't have a relationship with God. You haven't even done the right things. You haven't even done the things that the Bible says. How can you approach God if you haven't followed the Ten Commandments? How can you approach him? No, and all of these lies start to, to, to break in to where that relationship now starts to break down. God always is faithful. And he is always close in relationship. We need to understand how to break through all of the noise and all of the cloud of everything else in order to hear his voice above everything else. So this is why this relationship is so important. Does that make sense? This is why this is first and foremost, and this is why Jesus did this before anything else. Now, equally, here's what's really cool. Equally, when we walk in close relationship with God, and we allow his, the Holy Spirit to come and renew our mind and to clear out all of the lies that the enemy tries to weave so that we can actually approach boldly and we can come before him and all of those things. When we actually are in right standing with God and when we are in this relationship, the result is powerful. Because, number one, we understand and live out of our true identity. I, I think that this is one of these things that gets minimized so much, but, but it's one of these things that we have to remember. This, this, this is my battle. Just, um, I'll be very honest with you. Identity is the thing that I struggle with a lot. And the reason for that is, is because everything that the enemy will tell you is that you have disqualified yourself from being a son or daughter. That somehow the things that you have done have separated you from Christ. That yes, Jesus died on the cross for everybody's sins, but yours. Because yours are just a little too bad. And so you start to weave this thing and then you start to get to this place of saying, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not a son or daughter of the king. Maybe, maybe this. And then God comes and speaks to you, hopefully through my words this morning, to speak life into you that says, no matter what the enemy tries to lie at you, you are a son and you are a daughter of the king of kings. You are bought, you are adopted, you are pulled in and there's nothing that can pull you away. This is the reality. So when we spend time with God and we allow his thoughts to be the ones that fill us through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, when we allow these things to, to fill us, we start to understand, I, I am saved. Yes. I, I am bought and purchased. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a son of the king. And with that comes all of the inheritance that he's promised his kids. And I'm, I'm secure I'm loved and that's never gonna change. I'm worthy and I'm, I'm worthy enough that Jesus went to the cross for me. I don't understand that, but I am. I'm accepted exactly who I am. I don't have to do anything different to be accepted and I am secure. All of those things working together to show that our identity is secure in who we are in Christ. 
Now that's awesome. But tomorrow morning, when you wake up, it might not be as easy to believe. My prayer, and, and this is why, this is why I'm, I'm starting here, is that we can, as a church, as a, as a body of Christ, as believers, bless you, that we can learn how to value our relationship with God above anything else. Where if that means I have to go to bed at 9 p.m. so I can get up at 5 a.m., I will. Because I have to be in that relationship. Because I know Sunday's great, Monday I wake up, and all the things bombard, right? The things of the week, the pressures, the cares, the bills, the everything. And you start to question who you are. And the enemy comes in with all kinds of stuff and all kinds of lies. For us to be able to just pause and say, no, 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 no. God, I'm one of your kids. I don't have to do anything. I'm one of your kids. To have that reality. Here's another benefit. Once we understand our identity, we then can live in confidence. A new level of confidence. Not pride, confidence. Because I know who I am in Christ, I can then walk and I can function as his child with a confidence for everything that I'm gonna come up against. And there's a fly and I'm gonna swallow it. I just know it. That's gonna be terrible. (laughs) But we start to walk into confidence and then finally what happens? As we understand our identity, as we walk in confidence, we have influence and authority in the world that God has placed us in. Because here's the thing is that if we don't understand who we are, it's really hard for us to go out and be the people that we are supposed to be as sons and daughters, as ambassadors for Christ. Because we're warring with all this stuff that disqualifies us before we even say one word. And then we get out the door and we get into our car and we, I, I, don't, I don't think I can represent Christ because I've got all this stuff going on. And the reality is, no, no, remember who you are in Christ. Allow that to bring confidence to your spirit and to your life. And then walk in the influence and the authority that you have. I, I think about the centurion, the story of the centurion in the Bible. The centurion, he had a servant who was sick and sent someone to get Jesus. And Jesus came and he said, all right, I'll come and, I'll come and heal. And what did the centurion say? No, 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 no. You, you don't need to come. And then why did he say that? He said, because I understand authority. I'm under authority. And I also have been given authority. And I understand him looking at Jesus saying, I understand you also are under authority and have been given authority. And so he said, no, 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 you say the word and it'll take place because you have an authority that has been given to you. Here's, here's, here's the thing here. God wants to give us influence and authority in our lives to be able to influence the kingdom, to be able to influence the world around us, to be able to do this stuff. Like this is what he wants to give us. But we have to have a proper understanding of what it means to be under authority in order to then have the authority. This is really important, okay? Thinking about a relationship with kids. I love my kids unconditionally. They're amazing. But if if, I, as a, if we are kids, if we're his kids and he is our father, he does have authority in our life. If we say I'm a child of God, it means he's my dad. And, and I still, my dad, my dad has authority in my life. Now it shifts as you get older and, and all of that kind of stuff. But your, your parents have authority in your life. When we understand that that is, we understand who we are, not what we do, who we are, identity in Christ. We're given a confidence to live out and to be ambassadors of Christ. And then as we do that, we actually are given an influence because, and an authority because we understand where we sit in relationship with God. And then it gives us an authority to be able to live out. Kingdom culture has all of this shaped into our relationship with God. A kingdom culture relationship with God is one that is God first. It's where we be before we do. 
It's where we get away and we realize that it's our joy to be with the Father. It's not something to be endured that we have to do. But it's where we shift all of this upside down to understand that it's about a relationship, not just doing the religious thing. Okay, this is, this is what kingdom culture is. It shifts this and it turns it all upside down, okay? That's number one. Number two, second section on the slide. And my notes quit working. Cool. All right. And church is done. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. The second one of these is our in relationships, our in relationships. Okay, and this is what I mean by this. I use a word, a Bible word, but I'm gonna explain it here and, and show what the importance of this is here. In relationships, we talk about discipleship relationships. Discipleship relationships. What are discipleship relationships? We jump back to our story here with Jesus. You guys doing okay? Okay, all right. When, uh, verse 13, when daybreak came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. And Simon and Andrew and James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, he goes on and he lists all of them. Now here's, here's the key of this whole thing is that these are relationships that were very specific. Jesus highlighted different levels of relationship that we have. And these are also levels of relationship that we would have in our life. Notice that Jesus said he called all of his disciples, okay? Meaning that there was a, a, a number, a greater number of them, and he called them. And then out of that, he selected 12 of them. And then Bible tells us as we go forward that there was actually three out of that 12 that were his closest inner circle, Right? And some people would actually go on and some theologians believe that even out of that, it was John was, was his best friend. Who knows? We, we, we see the three you know, illustrated very clearly, Peter, James, and John. So what do we see here? We see that Jesus had relationship, but he chose and selected specific people for a specific kind of relationship. Discipleship relationships look different because they have a couple of keys to them that are very, very specific, and that I think a lot of times when we think about relationships within the church, we can have a little bit of a misunderstanding maybe of what discipleship actually means. But th this is what it is. Letter A on your notes is discipleship relationships are intentional with a deeper commitment level. Now, all relationships are great. But there are going to be relationships in your life, and there should be relationships in your life that are deeper, that have a commitment level to them, where there's a trust in the people that you are in a relationship with, that they can call you out on all your junk, and you'll listen to them and receive the challenge and grow. You're not going to get that with everybody, nor should you. <laughs> you know, like someone who barely knows you walks up and says, hey... I want to challenge you. Th thank you very, very much. You know, like, okay. This is meant, this kind of relationship is meant to happen when there's been a specific, and this is the key word here, intentional decision to build life with some very specific people. Okay, this is what I mean by discipleship, okay? These are a lot different than surface level friendships. There's nothing wrong with surface level friendships. They're awesome. But when you get down into this level, it's, it's, it goes to a different place where we have to understand what we bring to those kind of relationships and what those kind of relationships bring to us, okay? These discipleship relationships, okay? And the next part on your notes, letter B, is discipleship relationships, and this is what separates them. They are high-challenge relationships, I'm gonna explain what I mean by this. And, and again, just for recap, so because I know I'm going kind of through some, some stuff, all of these are gonna be outlined once we get into the, comment, the content of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is gonna affect and is gonna influence these different kinds of relationships that we have, our relationship with God, and our relationship with one another, and then the third one when we get to that, okay? But discipleship relationships are high challenge. This is what I mean by this. A relationship with Jesus is high invitation. Meaning, Jesus invites everybody, 
where they are, what's going on in their life, no matter what's happening, no matter what doubt you have, no matter what sin you have, no matter what question you have, the open invitation is come to me. This is, this is Jesus's invitation. Don't like, you need to figure that out and then come to me. Oh, oh, you still have those questions? Go get those answered and then come to me. That's not him. It's high invitation. Everybody come to me. That's what he says, right? But the way God did it is God does challenge us in our life. And the way he designed it is that the challenge that actually helps us to be able to grow comes from these discipleship relationships with one another. Here's the thing about the disciples. As Jesus called the 12, they had complete access to Jesus and they had given him complete access and authority into their lives. Okay, this was different than him just going out to lunch and having fun with somebody. It was actually people that said, Jesus, I'm gonna give you permission to ask whatever you want and I'm gonna give you the influence to speak into my life whatever you want. Now that's, that's a whole nother level for us, isn't it? To actually put ourselves out there with a level of trust that says, I want you to call out my blind spots. That's really uncomfortable. I don't want people to call out my blind spots. That's why they're blind, so I don't have to see them. (laughs) But when we build into these relationships, this is where the growth happens in our life. Now, this is why, again, building on this, and then I'm I'm gonna keep going. This is why our relationship with God first is so important. Because if our identity is not rooted in who we are in Christ, then when people start to bring challenge to our life, we get insecure and defensive, and it's hard to receive because our identity is all out of whack. If our identity is established in who we are in Christ, then these relationships that we've desired that God wants to use to bring growth into our life, they can say something and we can receive that as coming from a person who loves us, who wants the best for us, and is saying something to help us to grow into God, who God wants us to be. That's why these two work very, very hand in hand, okay? Anybody ever had somebody say something before and it just like, yeah, I can't believe you said that, right? How how many spouses have ever ever had your spouse do that? (laughs) Just say something and you're like, oh, why, why? We have to have our identity in Christ. We have to have identity figured out in order to be able to receive from other people in these kinds of relationships, Kingdom culture in our discipleship relationships is investment into relationships that bring growth to you and that you bring growth to. Discipleship relationships are vulnerable to allow the hard questions and submit to the accountability of somebody else. Kingdom culture in our discipleship relationships is extending forgiveness when our natural self doesn't want to. And then it's not having anything to do with judgment, but rather living lives of encouragement to one another. Now, this area of discipleship and these relationships that are going to kind of challenge us and bring growth to our life, that it's really hard to hear sometimes, but it's really, really good for us to be able to hear. This, and this is, this is so important, and this is where I'm at right now. Again, vulnerable moment with Jason. This is the other, this is where I'm at. These kind of, this kind of culture begins at home. An intentional discipleship culture and kinds of relationship that allow to call out and to help one another grow begin in the first area of our responsibility, which is our home. It, it's not like, yeah, no, I meet with my, my small group and they challenge me and encourage me and that's it. No, no, no. If it doesn't happen in the home, we're missing something. And this is what I mean by this. As parents, know our responsibility is to create a culture in our home where our kids know the unmistakable love of God but are challenged to grow closer to him. Okay? This is our first area of responsibility. And, and like I said, this is... It's a great word. It's a great word. I received that too. This is where I'm at. 
Now, we know this, that as we build a culture, of rela- a culture like this in our home, where we as parents are intentional to say, I'm going to provide opportunities, I'm going to challenge my kids because I don't want them to just stay. And challenge doesn't mean come down on them, but it's to call things out and go the distance to have the conversation with them so that they actually understand, oh, there's a different way to do this, and I can, I can process differently in my life. When we do that, how many of you know as parents that your kids will challenge you? It's one of the best areas of challenge in your life. You think that you are just, you've got it going and firing on all cylinders and you are just, you are, you are the specimen of a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And then you're with your kids and your kids say something and you're like, excuse me, right? Why are you? What? Our kids are incredible at helping us to grow in our cha- and, and challenge us to grow. Spouses. Your spouse will challenge you. And this, in a healthy marriage, God designed it this way so that we can challenge one another and we can help each other grow. You see how, you see how what I'm saying here, how it's very, very important for this to start in the home? It, it, it can't just be aside from that. It has to be first and foremost there. This is what Jesus invites us into and calls us into. And then the, fi- uh, the final area of our relationships, and I'm going to bring this all together to close it and prepare us for next week. But the final area of, of this triangle are these out relationships, out relationships, or evangelistic relationships. Again, it's another, <laughs> another big Christian word, and this is what I want to explain by this, okay? But these are your, uh, your evangelistic relationships. What do I mean by evangelistic? We think of Billy Graham. We think of somebody who stands up, and they're an evangelist, and they, they preach the gospel and all of this, right? And that's, okay, so what are, you, what are you saying, Jason? This is what I mean by evangelism. Evangelism is very simply how we introduce and represent Christ. That's what evangelism is. It's how you actually introduce Christ to the people around you. How do you represent Christ to the people around you? Because again, God has called us to be on mission. There's an element that starts with our relationship with him, that grows through our relationship with one another, and then moves out to be influential and missional for the kingdom of heaven. These three areas of relationship work simultaneously together, and we're gonna see as we jump into the Sermon on the Mount then, how they are all intertwined and they all affect one another. Many of us just jump right to one of those areas, right? Oh, I just, I love, I love getting together with people and, and being challenged and growing and, and you know, all, my, all my people helping me out. Maybe, maybe Jesus wants to challenge you and say, well, what does is, what is the missional component of your life look like? Do, do you represent me in such a way that invites people to a relationship with me? Uh, why, I'm, I'm just, I'm working on, I'm working on me. Great, that's cool. But that works in simultaneous connection with everything else. I'm just really working on my, my, my time with God. Well, it's not even biblical to say it's just me and Jesus. Like, that's not even biblical because Jesus saved you, but he puts you in relationships where you grow. So, so to say, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm getting my discipleship from Jesus might be an excuse. Yeah, I was quiet. I figured that would be quiet. Hear my heart on this. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to grow in your relationship with one another. And then outward. Maybe some of us, how we've actually lived out our life for Christ has maybe taken a little bit of a back burner. Or maybe it's not at the forefront where we think going through the day, how am I introducing Christ to the people around me? How, How am I representing Christ to the people around me? With our kids, going back to the family thing, there's a book by Paul David Tripp called 14 Gospel Principles That Will Radically Change Your Parenting. Just take a breath halfway through. But the book is powerful, and in there, one of the things he said is that you are your kid's first representation of Christ. Okay. Well, that's sobering. Really, really sobering. But here's the thing. We're not alone. 
If we try to jump to discipleship relationships and then try to be missional without first landing on the part of a relationship with Christ, we miss the whole thing. All of these things work in tandem. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, I know there was a lot. I know there was a lot. As we get ready to jump into the Sermon on the Mount, um, this, is, uh, this is where we're gonna go with this. We're gonna go to um, looking at the different sections of the Sermon on the Mount to see how Jesus is addressing either our relationship with him, our relationship with one another, or our relationship to the world, okay? The three areas. Does that make sense, what we're doing? So you're going to hear these, these terminology, this, this up, in, and out throughout this series, because we're going to use this as we start diving through different sections of it to, to realize that Jesus, what he was trying to do in this section of the Sermon on the Mount was actually illuminate something in this relationship. Hey, by the way, you're salt and you're light, which means that how you represent me to the world has to look a certain way. It has some components to it. Oh, that's the relationship. Oh, that's the out relationship, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who come to me, essentially understand their own depravity without God and understand their need for God. Oh, that's our, that's our, that's our up relationship. Oh, oh, got it, got it. He talks about forgiveness and he talks about, all of these things are tied into this place. But I wanted to just set this tone for us as we go into the next, um, the next few weeks together, okay? Is that all right? Okay. Did you get something out of this? Okay. Okay, good. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. And, uh, and as we do, I, I want us just to take an opportunity to just um, pause and let the Holy Spirit just speak to us for a second. And I hope, I hope, I hope, that through this, you've been able to identify, yeah, I think, I think God wants through this next series to put his finger on, on my relationship with him. I, I don't think my relationship with him is quite where it should be at. Okay, allow him to put his finger on that and allow him to speak to you about that as you go through this series. Maybe, maybe God's calling you into a greater level of accountability and relationship with people that can help you to grow and help you to become who Christ wants you to be. Maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to not just do the isolated thing anymore, but to actually step into a new kind of relationship that invites and allows some challenge. And maybe it'll be uncomfortable. But if it's done in the context of people that you can trust that will build into your life, you're gonna see growth. Then finally, maybe God's putting his finger on a missional component. How are you representing him in the world? Whatever that is, just bow your heads and close your eyes. There's my children's pastor coming out. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And I just want you to take a second just to take account of your life. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak where he wants to come. And it might be all three of them. It really might be. It might be all three of them. There might be one that specifically right now God wants to really illuminate and focus in on. I want you to just ask him to speak to you and grab a hold of what that is as we go into these next few weeks together. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask right now that you would come to speak to your people I pray that you would bring to our minds and our hearts what you want to speak to us through these next few weeks together. Whatever that looks like, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate it over your people right now, that you would show that. That, Father, we would be able to walk into these next weeks ready to hear what you have to say, to hear what you have to speak to us, God. I thank you for it, Lord. Now, just as we get ready to close, I wanna give an opportunity for anybody that may be in that first category with your relationship with God, that, that up relationship. 
Maybe something today that I said sparked something and changed something in you to where if you're far from Christ, you understand all he wants you to do is come to him, not be anything specific, not do anything, just be who you are. That there's forgiveness and that there's grace. There's covering for your life. Maybe this morning you're in this place and you say, you know, I don't have a relationship with God. That, that part is, is way off. But I really desire it. I want to know that I have a relationship with God. My sins are forgiven. I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer today. And the prayer is simply the beginning of a relationship with him. There's nothing, the magical part about, if you want to call it that, but the spiritual part about uh, our, our prayer is that we are declaring with our mouth a belief that's in our heart that begins a process of a relationship with him. So if you're here and you, you wanna begin that relationship with God today, then we're all gonna pray this prayer together, but I want you to pray that with faith, believing that today is a day where your relationship with him can begin, or maybe you've had a relationship, walked away from the Lord, that it can be renewed again today. So pray this and repeat this after me. Father, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for taking my shame and my guilt on the cross. And I declare today that you are Lord, you are my savior, and I wanna give my life to you. Today, my desire is to begin a relationship with you, to follow you, to learn what it means to be your son or daughter and live from that place. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you pray that prayer this morning for the first time, whether you're in the room or online, I just wanna say welcome home. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family of God. Like we talked about, all these other things are subsequent to our relationship with God. And I know that this is the beginning of a journey. It's not just you pray to prayer and there it's all done. <laughs> In fact, sometimes it's the other way around. We pray a prayer and now God wants to start doing things in us, which is awesome, which is really cool. And so uh, I'm just so thankful that you made that decision. Can we do this, church family? Can we put our hands together for everybody that asked Christ into your heart, whether you're online?